What you hope for shapes what you live for. So in 2 Thessalonians, we have been reading over these past couple weeks how Paul called the church to not be fearful of suffering, even though suffering was increasing, but rather to embrace suffering as part of following Christ. He also encouraged them to not be afraid in the last days, especially of the Antichrist, because as we read last week, Jesus is going to return and simply defeat him with the breath of his mouth. And so instead of being afraid, they should actually be hopeful, they should be comforted, they should be ready, they should be faithful, and be living in light of eternity, anxiously awaiting Christ's return. And this type of focused priority should put our hearts in a position to say yes to greater things, because you and I are going to say yes to some things, and we want to make sure the things we're saying yes to truly are the greater things and not the lesser things. So are we saying yes to the right things. I believe that this is part of what Paul is trying to conclude with in his letter to the church in Thessalonica by letting them know these are the things that really matter. So let's go into scripture today at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's read these final words of Paul. Let's start by reading the first five verses here. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Finally, brothers, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ." One of the very first things that stands out as we read this final section of Paul's letter here in 2 Thessalonians is when he asks them to pray for them in prison. He's saying pray for us because we're in prison. He doesn't ask that their time would be easier in prison or that they would be comforted in prison necessarily. He's not looking for some sort of easy life. Instead, Paul's priority was in his prayer. And I'll tell you what, you can find out a lot of what someone believes by the way that they pray. And the way Paul asked them to pray for him was simply this. He said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Think about that for a minute. You're in prison. I, I don't know about you, but if I were in prison, my prayer would be that I would be released because I don't want to be here anymore. I'm, I'm, this is not something I would be particularly excited about. My priority would be on my own comfort. My priority would be on my uh, getting out and justice being done, and I want to be out, so pray for me that I get out of here. Instead, Paul says, pray for us that we may have an opportunity to share the gospel, that the gospel would continue to move ahead. And, and I'm wondering in this moment, is Paul reminiscing and thinking back to that jailer after the prison walls were, were shaken and the doors were open and the shackles fell off of, of Paul and Silas's hands and feet and, and the jailer was going to take his own life and, and, and Paul begins to share the gospel with him and, and the jailer and his entire house gets saved. I, I wonder if Paul is thinking, maybe I'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with the jailer. Maybe there'll be an opportunity for someone in his household to receive Christ. Is perhaps that what Paul is thinking about in that moment? Because his concern is not his escape. His concern is that the gospel keeps on moving ahead. 
whether it's something to do with him being in prison, maybe it would give greater purpose to his imprisonment, whatever the case may be. His concern is not with his comfort, but his concern is with the gospel moving forward. And that is how Paul is in the midst of trial, in the middle of persecution, in the middle of imprisonment, saying yes to something greater. Because a heart captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ will prioritize eternal things over temporal things. A heart that is captivated by the gospel. Paul's prayer was that the gospel would continue to spread. Impacting eternity was the focal point of his life because he knew that when everything in life is said and done, that the only thing that would matter would be how eternity was impacted. In verse 5, Paul prays something specific that I want to kind of highlight and bring attention to. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul prays here that the Lord would direct the hearts of the people to love God and to persevere and to be patient during trials, to understand that what they're going through is not something that should discourage them to want to relent or to give up. And, and in the day that they were living in, it seemed like that the, the present day was worse than the day before. It just seemed like, man, these trials, these difficulties, they keep ramping up. And instead of them seeking relief, Paul says, no, make sure your hearts are directed towards the Lord. Because if your heart is directed towards the Lord, even in the face of trials, even in the face of increasingly ramping up evil and wickedness, you can continue to be steadfast in Christ. You can be anchored in Christ because as things get more difficult, it's not about whether or not things go my way or not. It's more about does the Lord have my heart? Because how many times does the enemy try to use trials, difficulties, sufferings, all the bad stuff that happens to us and around us as an opportunity to distract us and discourage us from actually giving our heart to God? He uses those things all the time because people are constantly asking questions like, well, why are these bad things happening to me? And we always think, why, why am I going through this challenge? Why, why am I under the gun financially? Why am I having relational difficulties? Why are these ha things happening to me in my marriage or at my place of business? Or, or, or why is the boss treating me this way? Or, or, or why am I having this uh, issue uh, with my family? Whatever the case may be, we're always asking these questions and wondering, I thought God is supposed to be good, and so how come all these things are happening to me? And we go, it's just not fair, because we as people prioritize our comfort and our agenda. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and if it's uncomfortable, we're going to say something or we're going to do what we can to change the circumstance within our own power. We're concerned about the temperature of the room. It's too hot. It's too cold. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not exactly what I want or how I want. The chair is too hard. It's too soft. It's like we're Goldilocks and the three bears. And we're looking for the just right scenario. And we're only concerned about the just right scenario for ourselves. We didn't stop to ask the person next to us, are you comfortable in the room? No, we're primarily concerned about our own comfort. And if we are uncomfortable, then we're going to do whatever we can to change the situation because we think our comfort is the goal. We think us having what we think that we deserve and what we're entitled to and what we need, we think that's the goal. But God is not prioritizing those things. He's wanting us to say yes to greater things and say no to lesser things. And all of those things... They're all temporary. They're all lesser things. But how many of those things in our day and age can capture our heart 
And we pursue those things and we chase those things and we want those things. And, and we don't even care if someone else is inconvenienced as a result as long as I get mine. As long as I get what's, what, what I feel like I deserve. I, I mean, we see this all the time. Have you ever been in, in, in like a, a bigger city and you're in a, a traffic jam and there's an accident ahead and the cars are backed up? There's always that one guy and you've been that guy that you just keep on going even though everyone else is stopped and the cars are backed up and you're like, I'm going to squeeze in. I'm going to find somebody to inconvenience to let me in, and I'm going to bully my way in. And we pass everybody else who's waiting in this long line, and we get right up to where the, 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 the traffic jam is really, you know, at the head to where you've got to make a choice. You know, like where the construction cones, they just kind of veer off, and you've got to make a choice. It's time to get in. It's now or never. And you pass everybody else in line because it's about me getting where I need to go because nobody else in that line had anywhere to go more important than you. <laughs> Everyone else was just having an easy, I could wait in line kind of day. But you, no, 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 you, your, your appointment was more important than everyone else in that line. And we don't care. We are not thinking about everyone else in that moment. We're only thinking about ourselves. And we don't care who we got to squeeze in front of in order to push them further back as long as I'm a little further along. And that's the same type of attitude we take in so many areas in life because we get distracted on temporal things. Because guess what? I don't care how far ahead you get in line, there will be another line another day. There just will be. There will be another Black Friday. <laughs> there will be another thing that the world tries to spend to you that you just absolutely have to have and you need, and it doesn't matter what little old granny you push out of the way to get it. Now, now, wait a minute. I mean, nobody in here did that. I get that, right? Okay, but I, let me give a disclaimer. I, I, I'm a Black Friday junkie. Like, I love Black Friday. It, it gets me excited, not because there's anything there I necessarily want. I don't even care about the stuff. I like being in an atmosphere where there's just a bunch of chaos and people are everywhere. I'm not even kidding. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and now my kids are old enough, I can take them. You know, I, we put on all their, all their football gear, their pads and their helmets. I hold on to their, their hands, and, and we go and we brave uh, the chaos. And, and I, I walked out of a couple stores without even having bought anything or bought very few things, and man, I was excited. I get excited, but I'm the type of person, it doesn't take a lot to get me excited. It just doesn't. I don't know. Those of you who know me pretty well know, like, I'm like, oh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is great. Like, I'll get excited about stupid stuff. Like, even the point to where when we were uh, doing construction on our commons area, uh, we had a bunch of chairs shipped in, and all these chairs came via uh, this big freight service, and there were like, uh, you know, hundreds of chairs that came in for that new area. And I had a meeting that morning, and so I missed the delivery, and some of our newer staff members at the time, they were helping unload all these chairs, and they all came stacked, and you had to kind of like put them together and things like that. And as these chairs were just being brought in, one of the staff members that was newer started using a box cutter to like, um, you know, like uh, cut the, the saran wrap and stuff. And Pastor Kiko goes, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. And they're like, why? Wait for Pastor Derek to get here. He'll want to open it. <laughs> and he's exactly right. Because when I showed up, Pastor Keith said, they tried to open it, but I told him to save it for you. And I was like, yeah, buddy. 
Like, I love that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's just great. And so it doesn't take a lot to get me excited. And, and maybe you're like that. Maybe you're not. Maybe you get excited about dumb stuff. But guess what? All that stuff is temporary, and we can't live for that. Because there's always going to be something newer. There's always going to be something shinier. There's always going to be something that says you have to have me in order to be happy or content or fulfilled or whatever the case may be. As soon as you get the new iWatch, the next one comes out just a month later. And you're like, I just got this thing. I just learned how to use it. And now they got a new one with new features. And you're like, ooh, I got to have that. And we will be willing to inconvenience ourselves for temporary things. We'll inconvenience ourselves greatly for temporary things. We will inconvenience ourselves so much that we will be willing to buy something we cannot afford and pay someone else more money for letting us borrow the money just so we can say yes now to temporary things. And we do it all the time. Just to put ourselves in a position, think about the level of inconvenience that that takes. Think about how inconvenient that it is that we would be willing, in order to say yes now... I will not only pay you the price of this, but I will pay you some more money for letting me have the money to buy this and have it now. Because I just got to have it, and that's what I think. It shows you the level we are willing to be inconvenienced for temporary things. And then after the new car smell wears off, what do we do? Oh, I want that smell again. I want the new, shinier, more techy, whatever. And so we go and pursue all of these things, and we prioritize it, and we say yes to it. We say yes all the times to lesser things, to temporal things, and we will be willing to go to great lengths to be inconvenienced. But Paul said, if God has your heart, if God is directing your heart, Paul, I believe, is emphasizing here the eternal things over the temporal things, the temporary pain, the temporary discomfort, the, the, the temporary challenges, the temporary trials that Paul's referring to here. He says, may God direct your heart. May he have your heart in such a way that he's directing your heart, that he's helping you to make decisions in light of eternity because your heart is so captivated by the gospel that your priorities are shifting naturally. It's not because somebody told you these should be your priorities and these are the things you should prioritize and here's the best way to do it. No, it's just a natural desire to prioritize the things of God when your heart is captivated by the gospel. That's how Paul, who could be in prison, could prioritize, hey, this could be the last letter I ever write. I'm not guaranteed my next moment. So the most important thing I could say to this church in this moment is pray the gospel keeps moving forward. Not pray I get out, not pray it all works out the way I want to, not pray I get all of the things in my favor. No, pray that the gospel keeps moving forward because Paul had found something greater to say yes to than his desire and his temporary comfort and his situation. It caused him to change. That's why also Paul, the same person who wrote 2 Thessalonians, also wrote a letter to the Corinthians, and he said a similar thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. He said, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He said this light, momentary affliction, whatever you're doing without or whatever trial, whatever junk you're facing right now, Paul is trying to help the church in Corinth, and I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to help us today to see this 
affliction that we're experiencing, this doing without or, or this trial or this thing we're facing, it is light and it is momentary. And I know it may not feel that way, but in comparison to eternity, it is light and it is momentary. It is not the goal that you and I get everything we want, when we want, how we want. God is not overly concerned with making sure we're all the time comfortable and always get our way. God is more concerned with His glory. And He wants those who follow Jesus to also be concerned with the things God is concerned with. How do we learn to be concerned with the things that God's concerned with? He directs our heart. He has our heart. We're captivated. Just like Paul said in verse 5, may the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May we be steadfast in Christ, regardless of what situation or circumstance I find myself in. If things are going my way, awesome. Lord, let me not become apathetic and complacent to things going well in my life. Let me still remember my need for you. Just because there's plenty of food in the pantry, don't let me forget that you are still my source. Amen? Just because there's plenty of money in my bank account, don't let me forget you are my source. Remind me, Lord. Help me to keep my heart to you, lest I draw away from you and begin to trust in myself. Lest I begin to trust in my storehouse as being full. Because it's one thing to trust God when you're in a season of lack, but what about when you're in a season of plenty? What about when there's so much Thanksgiving turkey left over, you have gotten like super crazy creative with turkey dishes? <laughs> what, about, what about you've got so much left over? Oftentimes we can forget about God in times of plenty, but we want to pursue Him and, and we reach out to Him in our times of lack because we realize, I need you. No, you needed Him in the time of plenty just as much as in the time of lack. But if He has my heart, if He's directing my heart, I can prioritize those eternal things. And when things temporarily aren't going my way, it helps me to be steadfast in Christ, whether things are going well in my life or whether I'm facing challenges, because Jesus did not die on the cross for us to sit and wait to get caught up in prioritizing the pursuit of earthly temporal pleasures. That's not why He died on the cross, so we could get distracted with stuff and comfort. That's not why Jesus died. We need to remember that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me because He had eternity in mind. You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross when he was enduring the suffering and the shame and the pain and all the junk that came with that as the punishment for your sin and my sin, he wasn't just thinking about those who were there present that he could see with his physical eyes. Jesus was seeing into the future and he was seeing you, he was seeing me. He was seeing those of you sitting here in the room and you were on his heart and on his mind. He was seeing those of you who were watching online, those of you who were watching in the jail. He, he was seeing you, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of those whom he was dying for. He was thinking of us. And, and, and it gave him greater purpose to say yes to something greater. It did not look fun from the outside. It did not look comfortable. It was everything but. But Jesus was able to say yes to the greater thing because eternity was the priority, not his temporary comfort. And we're called to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die to ourselves. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Lord, let, let my life be a testimony, Lord, of your goodness and your value and your priority in my life where I'm prioritizing eternal things every single day.
because we are called to actively live in light of eternity. Let's keep on reading in verse 6. We'll read through verse 12 here. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. I believe Paul is saying here, hey, there's, there's a different priority here that you and I need to be about. And we showed you the example. We set the tone for you. We showed you. He said we could have because of Paul's apostleship, we could have come in and pretty much demanded the royal treatment. We could have pretty much come in and say, hey, here I am, Paul. I've traveled a long way to be here. I've inconvenienced myself greatly. Now, could you guys just put us up, take care of us, make sure that we've got plenty of food, make sure all of our needs are met. You know, I, I, I need my, my, my cloak repaired or I need a new pair of shoes. Could you guys just take care of all this stuff? He said, no, instead of doing that, he said, even though I could have, I could have, and it would have been perfectly justified. He said, I chose not to. And we worked with our hands. And you saw that we actually went out and worked and earned our own way. So when you saw us eating bread or you saw us eating in a restaurant, you knew that we were paying for it by the sweat of our brow, not because you were just treating us a certain way because of our, 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 our position. But you saw that we were working. Why did we do that? He said, because we wanted to set an example for you. We wanted you to have something to imitate. Not that you're supposed to be sitting around because of position or because of title or because of anything else thinking, well, I'm a Christ follower. I'm just going to sit around and wait for Jesus to come back and everyone else can just take care of themselves, but I'm just going to kind of do whatever and make a little money here and there, you know, maybe helping this person out, making a little change here and there, but I'm just going to be idle and I'm not going to do it. He said, no, you need to actively live in light of eternity. It needs to be an active thing. It's not something that's temporary. It's not something that, that you just do occasionally because we understand something different, that the church is somewhere we go. It's not who we are. I mean, I mean, it is who we are. It's not just somewhere simply that we go, somewhere that we attend, somewhere that we check in, punch in, punch out, but it is actively who we are every single day in the marketplace. Amen? Yeah. It's somewhere that who we are, no matter where we're at, we are the body of Christ. We are representing Christ in the earth every single day. And we are called to actively live in light of eternity. And Paul could have demanded that he be honored as an apostle. He could have demanded that he be honored as a guest. And there would have been nothing wrong with that. But instead, he wanted them to see the priority. He wanted them to see the example. And he wanted to give them something to follow. So what type of example are we setting for those around us? What type of example are we setting for those who are coming after us? There's not this proverbial line or threshold where we get to check out as Christians and just coast. It doesn't exist. If you're still breathing, if you're still sucking air, that means God has a purpose for you. Amen? 
And it's not for you to just unplug and coast. I see so many saints doing this. I see so many Christ followers when they feel like, oh, I've given my share. I've done my part. It's time for someone else to do this. It's time for someone else to step up. And they just unplug and just coast along. Folks, that should not be so. It should not be so. Paul said, by my position, by my tenure, by my education, by my title, I could have demanded you take care of me, but instead I chose to work. Instead, I chose to set an example for you because I, I wanted you to see what living in light of eternity matter, what it looked like. I wanted you to see what saying yes to greater things looked like. I wanted to give you an example to imitate. He didn't say someone to just be impressed with. He said someone to actually imitate, to do what I'm doing. So that way you won't get caught up in being lazy or idle or thinking, oh, I've given enough. I've done enough. I've served enough. You know, I, 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 I helped make this whole thing happen anyways. I mean, this whole church in Thessalonica is just here because of me. So, I mean, you guys can just kind of take care of me. No, instead, he went and worked so that they would see. Hey, I, I'm still setting the example of how to live actively in light of eternity, not to be idle. So do we expect to be catered to as Christians? Or are we setting the example of saying yes to greater things? Are we setting that example? Are we giving an example to our children, to our grandchildren, to some of you, your great-grandchildren? Are you giving an example to imitate to your friends, your neighbors, your siblings? Are you setting an example to your coworkers worth imitating? Those whom God has put in your sphere of influence? Are you setting an example of what it looks like to actively live in light of eternity? What does it look like to actively live in light of eternity? What, what should I expect to do? What are the things that I'm expected to, expecting to prioritize? What does that look like? Or are they just seeing us saying yes to ourselves, saying yes to lesser things? You see, when we say yes to lesser things, we're saying no to a lot of things that could actually have greater eternal bearing and eternal fruit? Are we asking the question, is this something that I'm doing in light of eternity? This is a question that my wife and I have been asking in various areas of our lives, and it's kind of become a filter for us where this question of how does this impact eternity or in light of eternity, should we make this decision? It's been something that's challenged us to the core. It's been something that's caused us to reevaluate. Just a few weeks back, uh, we went and checked out a, a new car that we were looking at. And man, we, we drove it, we liked it, we wanted to see what the trade-in value of our current vehicle was worth, all those things. And when it came down to the numbers, we could have afforded it, but in light of eternity, was it the wisest decision to make? Because if we say yes to that, it would put us in a position where we would have to say no to other things. Just because you have maybe some extra time in your schedule and there's all these things that little Johnny and little Susie could get signed up for, all these activities that could keep your family super busy, in light of eternity, what are we going to have to say no to in order to say yes to all of this busyness? Is that trade-off worth it or am I saying yes to lesser things and I'm not prioritizing or setting the example of eternal things if it takes me away from those things that really should matter that I should be saying yes to. When it comes to your finances, when it comes to your time, when it comes to your responsibilities, 
Could it be that God perhaps put you in the position he put you in because he wants you to impact eternity, not just for you to be more and more comfortable? You know, we all have the Clark Griswold syndrome. Um, when we think about the Christmas bonus, we're always thinking about putting in the new pool, right? I mean, that's what he was all consumed with. And not that there's anything wrong with having a pool or anything like that or, or anything wrong with, with having a, a, a nice lifestyle. But at the same time, where's the priority? Are we at least asking the question, in light of eternity, is God wanting us to say yes to this or has he put us in this position? Have I, did I get that that bonus or did I get that promotion so I could just do more for myself and make my life more comfortable or is God giving me this opportunity to steward for his glory and how can I do that in light of eternity how can I use the influence I've been given how can I use the time how can I use the resources how can I use the things that I'm responsible with the relationships how can I use those things for the glory of God? How can I live actively in light of eternity? How can I set an example? Because we live by this value if we're following Christ. We are contributors, not consumers, because we recognize that what we have been given is not just for us. We recognize it's not just for us. It's not all about us. I know that may be a shocker, but it's not for us. It's not all about us. And perhaps is God putting us in a position because we can say yes to greater things. How can we prioritize eternity now? Not, not, listen, listen, not this idea of, well, when my schedule clears up, then I'll be able to say yes to greater things. When, when, when I'm in this type of position and I can do these things, then I'll be able to say yes to greater things. And it's like we're putting off the more important things because we think it's holding us back from saying yes to greater things. L listen, I, I love the story of uh, Liz Bohannon, this lady. She started this incredible shoe company that's just changing lives all around the world where these ladies in Ethiopia are actually making these shoes and she's actually sending them to college in a village where they couldn't afford to go to college before. And now um, this, this shoe business has taken off and she's able to send all of these young women uh, to school. It's been absolutely incredible. And she had this vision years ago to be able to do this, but at the same time, she didn't know how she was going to accomplish it. And God dropped in her heart, you don't even have one friend from that village. How are you going to impact the world if you don't even have one friend? So she said, that was my goal. She said, it took me two years, but I had to go find one friend and make one friend. And she said, and I made one friend. She had to start somewhere. She had to say yes somewhere. She had to go and connect with one person from this village that she felt God had called her to reach. And now she's impacting thousands of lives, but it started with saying yes to one person. You see, we have this idea that if we're doing something for God, it's got to be on this big grand scale. And if I can't say yes to the big grand thing, then I never step out. Could it be that God's just wanting you to make one friend? Could it be that God's just wanting you to say yes to that one thing, that one step in the right direction, and that step leads to another connection or another relationship or another thing that you're supposed to say yes to. And then you have this snowball effect, and God gets the glory throughout the process. And it becomes less and less about you and more and more about Him. But you got to start somewhere. you got to make the decision to say yes to greater things somewhere. you got to say yes to what God's putting on your heart somewhere. And we've got to stop making excuses and looking at our limitation. Because if we're always looking at what we can't do, then we're never going to be looking at what God truly wants us to do. And we'll always just feel guilty because we feel like we're just not doing enough because we can't do enough. What do you have to say no to in order to say yes to this? What is that thing you need to say no to now to say yes to the more eternal thing, the greater thing?
Start somewhere because we are contributors, not consumers. We recognize what we've been given is not just for us. Let's finish out reading this book here with these last few verses. Let's start in verse 13 where we left off. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Amen. It's so easy to grow weary in doing good, isn't it? Because we can think that we're the only one. We can think that other people around us are not pulling their uh, share. And it can do one of two things. It would either make us extremely prideful and eventually bitter because of the pride, or it will make us feel hopeless like we're the only one and we'll just want to quit and give up. One of the two. If we're not anchored and directed in the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, as Paul prayed earlier. If we're not focused on the greater yes and impacting eternity, we begin to get our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to look at those around us and we begin to compare ourselves. Oh, well, I'm the only one doing this. Aren't I special? Everyone else, I don't know what their problem is. You know, if everybody else would, you know, serve as much as I serve, if everyone else would do as much as I did, we wouldn't have any problems. We wouldn't have need in kids' ministry if everyone just do what I did. I, you know, if everyone else would just put in the time I put in, everyone else would just pray as much as I pray. I mean, I'm inconveniencing myself for the kingdom here. The only reason I know is what scriptures I know is because I'm willing to put in the work and the time. I mean, if everybody else would, if everybody else would just put in the kind of work that I'm putting in, I mean, they could love God too. They could have what I have and, 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 and have the relationship with Jesus that I have. I just don't know what the problem is. They just don't love God. And we think these things, and so it'll develop pride, or it'll make us go, oh, man, I'm the only one doing this. Oh, man, maybe I, I'm kind of tired of doing this. I'm, I feel like I'm doing all this heavy lifting myself. Man, it's just, I feel like I'm the only person who's trying to do the right thing. I feel like I'm the only person that has any common sense about this, and I'm the only moral person at work, and I'm the only person that, you know, doesn't just, you know, drop all the, the foul language all day long. I'm the only person that, you know, tries to do, do the ethical thing, and everybody else is just, you know, punching in a, a little earlier than they actually showed up, and they're getting paid a little extra, and here I am struggling and trying to do the right thing, and I don't know why I just don't do what everybody else does. So you'll either compromise, and you'll get discouraged and weary and give up, or you'll get prideful. If you get your eyes off of Jesus. That's why Paul said, listen, guys, I'm praying for you that the love of God in your hearts would increase, that your heart would be directed towards God and that you would be steadfast in Jesus Christ, that you would continue to persevere in, in spite of the obstacles, whether it does appear like you're the only person saying yes to greater things. It doesn't matter because your reason is greater because you're pleasing God and not man. Lord, help keep me humble and remember even like Elijah, when Elijah thought he was the only prophet left, God said, man, I got thousands you don't even know about. What are you talking about? I'm going to bring you some birds to give you some food. <laughs> it's like, why are, you, why are you so concerned about yourself? Why do you think you're the only one? Paul says, don't get weary in doing good. So when you're living in light of eternity, when you're prioritizing, when you're saying yes to these greater things, can I encourage you, church? Don't get weary in saying yes to eternal things and doing what's honoring God, even if nobody else shows up, even if you're the only one there, even if it's the same group, even if it feels exhausting at times, can I remind you, do what you're doing as unto the Lord. Say yes because it honors God and you're living in light of eternity, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's inconvenient. Amen? 
Verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that they may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So we have a responsibility. Man, if people are being idle, if people are just sitting on their hands, waiting, not doing anything, we need to warn them. We need to say, hey, why don't we do this together? Why don't we, why don't we get connected? Why don't we get involved together? Why don't we say yes to greater things together? Why don't we continue to move forward together? He said, warn him as a brother. Verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Uh, Paul may have ended the letter this way because remember at the beginning of Second Thessalonians, he told them, hey, if someone comes to you by a spirit, a word, or even in our name, don't believe them if they're saying that Jesus has already returned. And so Paul may be addressing, hey, listen, when I write to you, you're going to know it's me. This is the way I write. Um, this is a genuine Paul letter. And so I'm, I'm letting you know that it truly is me. And you can trust these words that I'm saying. And these are the types of things that I would say to you anyways. I believe that Paul is encouraging the church. And the thing that you and I can glean from this is to keep saying yes to greater things. Because eternity does matter. Paul acknowledges that living in light of eternity can be tiring when you look around and you see other people being idle and you feel like you're the only one, especially if you serve in the church nursery. Sometimes you can feel like, oh no, I believe there's going to be a special place in heaven for those who serve in church nurseries. It's going to be like a spa. It's going to be like, you know, like a five diamond you know, like members only, like it, you're going to, some of you are going to try to walk in there. Oh, I want to check this place out in heaven. And there's like two angels with swords are like going to, you know, like cross the swords. Oh, this is reserved for those that served in church nurseries on the earth. And then they're going to, yeah. And, and, and they're going to know if you did or not. So, hey, if you want to go to the spa, no, that's not in the Bible. That's uh, maybe though, who knows, who knows. But, it, but the thing is that it may be tiring. It may feel like, where's everybody else at? It, it may feel like, I, I, I don't know, you know, what's going on here. Like, I, feel, I, I feel weary from saying yes to all these greater things. Keep saying yes. Paul tells the church to warn those who are idle, those who have simply become passive consumers that aren't engaging and living in light of eternity. And he said, stay away from him. He said, be careful. And I believe the reason he, he issued that warning is because he doesn't want that to influence us. He doesn't want us to be influenced by a bunch of people who are being negative and who are just disengaged. We need to be around people who are engaged, people who are plugged in, people who are saying yes to the greater things. Because if we're constantly just surrounded by those who are, are, are claiming to be Christ followers, but they're disengaged, that'll rub off on us, man. We'll get complacent. We'll get apathetic. We'll, we'll, we'll just go, ah, it's not a big deal. And, and then all of a sudden, their habits will become our habits. So make sure you stay focused on saying yes to greater things. And yes, it will be inconvenient. Yes, it will be sacrificial. But we do it because eternity matters. We need to set an example for the next generation of followers of Christ. Amen? We need to set an example for those who are just now coming to the faith who are becoming followers in Jesus, of Jesus as well. And we do it in the face of opposition. We do it in the face of what is not convenient, what does not really work within my schedule. Why? Because eternity matters more. 
we say yes to greater things. So church, it's time to step up. And I want to ask you, what is God calling you to say yes to today? What is he calling you to say yes to today? Maybe in this moment. Maybe if you're sitting in your living room or if you're there in the program room at the city jail, you're asking yourself, what am I supposed to say yes to that God's putting on my heart? Maybe here right now in this moment, here in your chair, you're, you're, you're pondering that question. Or maybe you already know what it is. Maybe God has already stirred some things in you that he's probably been working in you for a long time. I promise I don't have your house bugged. I promise I don't have some sort of creeper camera set up where I've been listening in on your conversations, and I know, and I put all those things in the sermon today. I believe that it's the Holy Spirit who is bringing things to your attention that you already know. These are the greater things, and I need to say yes to these things because eternity matters.